Well, thank you for joining us here on Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa and the voice of the African Renaissance. I'm Benjamin Mushatam. As I mentioned when we started the program, today we're going to look at the possibility of an African passport and the freedom of movement of people in sub-Saharan Africa. With the conversation of regional integration on the continent, as by means of the new agenda we've been speaking about by the African Union, the idea of having an African passport is one that may take center stage in the near future. Now, with the successes of the East African community with their own regional passport, uh, it has seen some progressive movements in terms of the manner in which this passport has actually advanced the integration in that region in terms of tourism, boosting economic development as well there, but also just easing some of the tensions in terms of migration when it comes to conflicts in other parts of uh, the continent. So we're going to be looking at uh, that theme of a more united Africa and Explore the idea of an African passport and the freedom of movement on the continent. What could that do for us as a continent? We've got Dr. Chris Nshimbi, who is the co-director of the Center for the Study of Governance Innovation, and that is part of the University of Pretoria. We also have Roshan Dudu, who is the Regional Advocacy Officer for the Consortium for Refugees and Migrants in South Africa. But I want to start with you, Dr. Chris Nshimbi, looking at where the African Union is going, looking at at the ideas of regional integration. Uh, just hypothetically, when we think of the African passport, it's a radical idea, but what could it do for us as a continent and what would it mean for us to put this idea together? Thanks a lot, Benjamin, for having me. Uh, good morning, listeners. Um, well, the idea of an African passport is really great, um, but uh, Generally, it will take a lot of work for it to, to, to be put in place. Uh, it has a lot of advantages for the continent in the sense that, uh, of course, you free movement of people, but we, especially if you look at the movement of labor, that would be able to free people to move and mm. transfer skills across the continent where they are needed, and that would benefit the continent most. Mm. And also looking at uh, the idea of uh, uh, the, of the continent working together, especially when it comes to that issue of economic development, uh, Dr. Chris Nshimbi, that you're highlighting there. How important would it be for us to actually push forward this idea through uh, our uh, uh, regional integration programs? Because I'm sure that would be the advantage, wouldn't it? Yes, it would. Uh, and actually, if you look at the African Union itself, it, it has um, uh, identified eight regional blocks on the continent. That would be basically the building blocks for continental integration. So if you achieve, let's say, look at Southern Africa, we have the SADC in Southern Africa, you achieve deeper and greater integration among countries in Southern Africa, and you do that for all the regional economic blocks on the continent, that would eventually enhance continental integration, and then you uh, establish, you know, cooperation among the regional Mm. blocks. Mm. Basically, the the idea is to integrate the continent by doing that. Mm. Now, once that is enhanced, then you'd have a situation where if you need to for example, increase productivity in one country. And then when we talk about, when we're bringing in the issue of movement of uh, people, our main concern would be movement of labor, first of all. So we're talking about people that may be skilled in one area, moving to one country or one region, and just basically exchanging skills. That would enhance the productivity on the continent. Mm. Where skills are lacking, where there are deficits, skills would move there Mm. if that comes uh, to pass. Now, let me bring in uh, Roshan Dadu, the Regional Advocacy Officer at uh, the Consortium for Refugees and Migrants in uh, South Africa. Roshan, when we're speaking about the concept of uh, freedom of movement, what are we actually speaking about? Does it have any limitations, restrictions? Uh, What are we talking about when we're speaking about this particular term, freedom of uh, movement? Good morning. Um, Well, I think we'd uh, agree with... uh, what the professor was saying, there is, as you've mentioned already, in some of the sub-regions of the continent, the building blocks towards the 
uh, regional, complete regional integration in the continent. There are like ECOWAS, which has its own ECOWAS mm. passport that enables people to move between those countries freely. Um, and also the EAC, as you mentioned, is also moving towards that. Um, within southern Africa, within SADC, there's a facilitation of movement of persons protocol that was um, discussed and agreed upon by the member states, but it's not yet been signed and ratified by enough of the member states to come into force. But that we're hoping would enable, at least in southern Africa, people to move between countries legally and to um, establish themselves uh, within certain countries, if you're a citizen of one country to another, to move without visas for, I think it states, three months, um, stays between countries. And, of course, you know, the government is very keen, the South African government, on, on regional, talking about regional economic integration, but it's absolutely impossible to achieve without enabling people who are the drivers of economies to move between countries. Mm. So we hope that in the first instance, at least this protocol, which initially discussed was called a free movement, and then the member states um, limited, made limitations on that initial uh, draft of a free movement protocol. But as it stands and has been agreed by the member states, it's the facilitation of movement. And it's also similarly to, I think, the ECOWAS process, it phases in, in stages, a sort of greater and greater access between countries to residents of SADC. Mm. And also, I mean, you work for the Consortium for Refugees and Migrants in South Africa. If we see more of a move in this direction, as you've highlighted, Roshan, what would it do for issues of refugees and migrants? I'm sure it would ease tensions in that regard and would actually create a more conducive environment for refugees and migrants. Well, we would hope so, but it would also, I think, more importantly, enable people who move for economic reasons, yeah. to move legally and to have documentation within other static countries. And the benefits of that are both to the migrants, the migrant workers themselves, but also to the governments of the region. Because once people are moving illegally or un- in an undocumented way, the government has less information of who's coming into the country. People are living under the radar. They're more likely to... Um, be doing things illegally simply because they're not able to do things in a legitimate way because they're not documented. Mm. So something that enables people to move freely would be beneficial to the migrant workers who would then be legally in the country and able to, to operate legally and, uh, you know, also to enjoy the benefits they should be um, enjoying that they're entitled to within countries. And we also hope it would assist in... in uh, moving benefits between countries so that people who are working in one country can then get their pensions paid out in another subject country, that health benefits as well could be moved across, people could move with those health requirements across borders and not lose drug regimes, which, you know, obviously doesn't benefit any of the countries if people are on medication and then they move between countries and they're no longer able to access that medication. So... I think there are a number of benefits all around mm. to enabling mm. people to move more freely between borders. Mm. Well, the continent is struggling with some issues. I mean, when you look at uh, some of the themes that have been taking place, especially in the last two, three years, we've seen really uh, an issue of terrorism. We've seen uh, issues of actually dealing with that in itself. Now Ebola has come into the picture in itself. Dr. Chris Nchimbi, in terms of uh, the challenges we have in order to actually make this happen, but also retain the autonomy of each country and deal with these challenges uh, of terrorism themselves. And here's this health issue as well of uh, Ebola. And we know that we also have other issues of health that are concerning the continent. What would be the main challenges of making sure that uh, this African passport issue could be implemented if, hypothetically, it takes place? How would we achieve that with all these challenges? Actually, if you spin that question around, you Mm. you see that um, that's the major reason why we are facing challenges with regards to having effective regional integration schemes on the continent. 
mostly the excuse that will be given for uh, you know being reluctant to implement some of the protocols such as the facilitation protocol that my colleague has uh, mentioned is that nations take this security approach to the movement of people they there's this fear that uh, if you open borders then it poses a security risk of mm. the nation and that's a challenge but if you look at it on the other side, actually, this could be a means through which ca- countries can enhance cooperation with one another. Talk about e- Ebola, for example. Uh, issues of health, uh, some health problems actually are beyond one state's capacity to deal with. You need collaboration among states, and that's the, the most effective way in which you can, you can deal with. If you look at organizations like uh, World Health Organization, it's an international organization, it works with states. So why can't states in a given region or on the continent work together to effectively combat a problem that is common among all? So if you look at it from another point of view, you find that actually these challenges that the continent are fa- is facing provide an opportunity for them to cooperate and coordinate their activities, their policies, in order to solve the, the, the problems of the challenges, because they are common to all of us. And also, um, Roshan, what are your thoughts about what Dr. Chris Nchimbi is highlighting there, saying, hey, opening up the borders and creating an open uh, space whereby we can actually have a a more stronger uh, integration system would actually facilitate some of these problems we have on, on the continent. Do you agree? Yes, I mean, I think it would definitely um, help to countries to work closer together on, you know, issues of uh, health concerns or security concerns because I think we have to realize that people are not going to stop moving in this globalized world that we live in. And so if we enable people to move in a, in a way that, in a, that allows them to access uh, health care or social services or whatever it might be, it's better for everybody, but also even on security concerns. If you have a passport, you know, countries know who's coming in and who's going out. So it assists people even in that respect to, to um, governments in that respect to, to know what is going on, who is coming into the country, who is leaving the country, as well as, you know, giving economic benefits which is migration as prudence to give both to the sending and to the receiving country because people come, they do economic activity, it generates money, they pay taxes, they pay for things whilst they're living in a country, but they also then send money back to their country, home countries often, so the benefits of that go both ways. Mm. But I think it's a false argument for state parties to say, well, if we give people the right to move you know, legally between countries, it's a security risk. It's actually the other way around. If you don't let people move legally and give people passports and documentation to do so, then people will move without you knowing what they're moving, and Mm. it's a much more Mm. difficult situation then to deal with. Mm. Well, we are imagining the future of the continent. Imagine if we had an African passport where we could actually move from one country to another without actually the uh, sometimes the hardships of a visa in itself because that's a long process in itself. But we're thinking and imagining if we could open up the borders and say, hey, if we move from one country to another, what kind of continent could we have? What kind of uh, uh, integration could we have in the continent and united Africa? We have Dr. Chris and Chimbi, the co-director of the Center for the Study of Governance Innovation that's based at the University of Pretoria. We also have Roshan Dadu, who is the Regional Advocacy Officer for the Consortium for Refugees and Migrants in South Africa. I want to come back to this issue of uh, uh, just dealing with the idea of uh, the African identity, this idea of pan-Africanism. If we have one African passport, what would it do for the uh, conscience or the consciousness of our continent because I feel sometimes we feel so separated that sometimes we need that African idea to be cemented by real practical issues on the ground. We'll continue with our guests after this break. Always missing your favorite Channel Africa radio shows? Well, now you don't have to. 
We have a free catch-up service that allows you to listen to Channel Africa radio content from your cell phone, computer or tablet at your convenience. Visit www.channelafrica.co.za and click on programs for a list of your favorite shows. Select what you want to hear. Click on listen and enjoy Channel Africa radio. It's as easy as that. Channel Africa radio, the voice of the African Renaissance. You are listening to African Dialogue with me, Benjamin Moshatama. Today we are imagining the future of the African passport. Uh, We know that uh, the African Union is speaking about regional integration on the continent. And really, uh, I'm sure that uh, we've seen examples of the East African passport, which was introduced as a travel document to ease the border uh, crossing for East Africans and has a six-month multiple entry validity, which is one of the privileged accords the holders and I know that it was a really good moment for East Africa. It was launched on the 1st of April 1999 and the passport is obtainable at the headquarters, headquarters of the respective partner states immigration departments. But imagine if other uh, regions actually uh, try to um, imagine moving towards this direction that was established by the East African community. But uh, looking at the issues of uh, a more uh, African conscientized uh, continent, uh, Dr. Christian Shimbi, having an African passport, what would that do for the consciousness of the people of Africa? Well, uh, first of all, I think that question borders on issues of uh, social cohesion. Mm. Um, uh, I would like to first of all say, of course, that when you talk about Africa, you're speaking about uh, four, 54 countries, and within the the countries there are different ethnicities and ethnic groups there. So I'm not saying that Africa is homogeneous, mm. if you like. Mm. There are a lot of differences uh, in terms of culture and also identity within the individual countries. But having said that, there is a sense in which uh, you can say you are African. Anyone on the continent will say they are African. There is that African identity which uh, exists. But apart from that, Africans are generally cohesive when you look at them at the community level. And you can be able to build on that to extend it to the continental level and the African passport would actually contribute greatly to enhancing that uh, building up of a continent starting from the grassroots if you like. Mm. Roshanda, Roshanda do, did you want to say something Dr. Kristen Shimbi or did I interrupt you there? Hi well yes I think in addition to mm. many countries on the continent people who feel identify their ethnicity to be such that in any case straddles between borders. Mm. So, you know, I think definitely it could only serve to enhance uh, enhance uh, people's sense of being <laughs> part mm. of a, a broader uh, community. I mean, in Southern Africa, if you look, for instance, at Lesotho in South Africa, you know, it would make complete sense to be able to move freely between those two countries. So, and a lot of people, you know, do move between the two and uh, have, you know, families in Lesotho and in South Africa. So, you know, I think just in those ways as well, it would be a beneficial in terms of, you know, creating a, a, a bigger idea of social cohesion mm. and what that might mean. And, yes, you know, hopefully changing the imagination of people. I think that happened, in fact, in Europe because relatively recent that that the European Union developed that kind of a system of freedom of movement and although countries are very different with different languages and histories and so on, there has, you know, over time become a sense of a European identity as well. Mm. So there's no reason why, in fact, on the continent where we already have ideas around pan-Africanism and those sorts of notions, it would be, it could only enhance that in a positive way. Mm. 
And Dr. Chris Nchimbi, coming back to you, uh, I like the idea of uh, the fact that we are so diverse and uh, we have different uh, ideas and um, uh, views in terms of our ethnic backgrounds and our cultures. It's just, uh, it's just, it's just the way things are on, on the continent. But when we look at the challenges, I mean, in South Africa, there's been what they call xenophobic attacks, which have been taking place uh, uh, recently. But they've been taking place over a while, actually. Uh, the big spate in Soweto that everybody knows, which has made uh, big, big uh, headlines in international uh, uh, news agencies. We know that uh, that has been an issue for South Africans themselves. But I think also when you create an understanding that, hey, here's a document that actually can allow you to actually find out what's happening in another country and open the space for identity in itself. Because when you own it, you feel like you are an African citizen. In terms of that, do you think that it can actually change and break these borders? Because these physical borders that we have sometimes create uh, mental borders or borders of of identity. Yes, it does, actually. And uh, that's the... The point in in having a document that would actually kind of legalize a person to say, no, I am African. I am an African at the core, but here is also a document which shows that I'm an African. And with that document, actually, you are able to seek recourse, for example, let's say judicial recourse, if you feel you are violated in terms of your rights and uh, uh, privileges as, as a citizen of the continent. So coming back, for example, to the issue of the facilitation protocol in Southern Africa, Mm. it's not yet ratified. And therefore, when you talk about issues of xenophobia, for instance, uh, anybody from the region that is in South Africa, let's say a Mozambican in South Africa, it's very difficult for them to go to the courts of law and say, look, there's been injustice effected against me. Of course, there is a South African constitution, but if we had a regional document, through which the person can argue to say, look, mm. this, this document actually gives me the right to be here, the right to exercise this and that freedom that you give me in this country. It's easier to do that. But without a document that authorizes or legalizes a person to cross a border, it's very difficult. And so you end up having rights being trampled upon and not being observed for some people. Mm. Roshan, that's a brilliant point that Dr. Chris Mshimbi brings forth there and we know that in South Africa just the application for uh, uh, for uh, refugee status in, in South Africa can take so long and sometimes it can be very tedious for the refugee or the migrant themselves sometimes to get those documentations themselves. Having this document, how do you think that it could actually ease things? And I know I asked this earlier but just a little bit elaboration there on some of the challenges that refugees and migrants actually face on a daily basis? Well, I think, you know, as I was saying before, particularly for economic migrants, it would be beneficial because you could move between countries in the terms of the SADC facilitation protocol. It would be for three months with the right to establish yourself um, within other SADC countries. So I think that may take the pressure of the asylum system if the government, as if it's true, as the government in South Africa keeps stating people are claiming asylum when in fact they are not asylum seekers, they're looking for work. Mm-hmm. So one way to, to ease that, if that is a problem, would be that. So then presumably you would not have the, the same numbers of people going through the asylum system. But yes, you know, as well, if people are seeking asylum, um, yes, it shouldn't be taking so long for those decisions to be made and for... Uh, proper documentation and due process to to take place. But I think also just to go back to the idea of an African citizenship, you know, to to add another citizenship doesn't, or idea of citizenship or belonging or ability to move across borders doesn't ever take away anything. Mm, You know, mm. you still would be, as has been said, you know, the many different peoples and, you know, countries and communities in the continent. It doesn't take away from that to enable people to move. But I think, in, you know, as I said, in this globalized world, you're not going to stop people moving and it wouldn't be beneficial economically to the continent to do so. So rather enable people to do so and create, you know, as, as has been mentioned by a professor and yourself, 
that that you know feeling of being legitimately able to yeah. say yes, I'm also an African, I'm South African, or whatever, but I'm also an African and part of the continent, mm. and able to contribute, you know, to to the economic development of your own country and your neighbour countries, and hopefully, as you say, the entire continent. Mm. Well, we're going to take one more break and then we're going to uh, wrap up the conversation after the break. And I know that there's a lot of opportunities on the continent. Everybody's speaking about the economic growth on the continent overall. And we are seeing even a foreign uh, direct investment coming into the country and people being more interested coming from outside in, uh, in, in the continent in itself. But what does it do for us as uh, African investors, people who are seeing opportunities on on the continent, Africans themselves who say, hey, uh, we've been talking about South Africa a lot and what's happening in Soweto where we have a lot of um, uh, foreign uh, nationals coming to the country and actually making a means, uh, creating businesses in South Africa. And, and I, I know that the idea of uh, different skills comes from different regions. But when we have an African passport, I feel like it will actually uh, create a mixed, a mixed uh, uh, kind of exchange rather, an exchange of uh, skills and exchange of ideas and I think it opens up uh, so many possibilities for us so we'll explore that issue of economics when we come back after this break this message is meant for a listener in South Africa Hi I'm Gosazana Zamini Zuma, the chairperson of the African Union Commission. Ebola in Guinea, Liberia and Sierra Leone is causing untold suffering and loss of life. Despite these odds, we are inspired by the courage of the people, the efforts of the governments and the heroism of health workers and volunteers. It gives us hope and fills us with determination that we can stop Ebola. You can avoid Ebola you can recover from Ebola, and you can contribute to the fight against Ebola. The African Union and member state countries have deployed health workers and volunteers to stop Ebola, but more is needed. You and I can make a difference. SMS Stop Ebola to the number 40797 and donate at least $1 in your local currency to stop Ebola. You can also donate through the website www.africaagainstebola.org. With your donation, we can send a thousand or more health workers to the affected countries. United, we can stop Ebola. Thank you. Time now is 11.34 and you are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Benjamin Moshatama. I love this conversation. It's been really, really awesome. Uh, we're looking at the African passport and the freedom of me- movement of people in sub-Saharan Africa. And uh, the African Union has been speaking about uh, the idea of regional integration for a long time now. And with this new Agenda 2063, we're seeing that uh, this has been more emphasized and the idea of an African identity and Africans uh, really defining themselves is a theme that they've been going, um, taking on for the new um, momentum of the African Union. Today we're exploring the idea of an African passport and the freedom of, mo- of movement of people on the continent. We have Roshan Dadu, the Regional Advocacy Officer for the Consortium for Refugees and Migrants in South Africa, and Dr. Chris Nshimbi, who is the co-director of the Center for the Study of Governance Innovation, which is based at the University of Pretoria. But uh, when we look at the economics of um, Africa, we are seeing a lot of potential. We are seeing a lot of things that the continent is uh, offering, especially uh, to other countries within the continent. Dr. Chris Nshimbi, in terms of what the African passport can do for business, what it can do for uh, economic development, your ideas? Yeah, it it would free up uh, movement of uh, not only lab, labor, which uh, 
we are talking about right now, but uh, also the other factors of production. Uh, that would enhance it, and also just speeding up in terms of uh, time. If you look at some countries on the continent, for example, if you are in South Africa, you want to go and do business, let's say, in Angola, you'd require a visa to go, there, to, to go and do that. And sometimes the process of getting the visa takes time, but business doesn't wait. You see what I mean? And uh, therefore, if you had a passport where you could just say, oh, I'm going to Angola today, uh, there's a business deal I have to mm. conclude there, and then you just get on a plane and you go and do your business and you are back. You need time to save on time. Yeah. So the passport would enhance that. But also, uh, I think we, we, we need to point out the fact that w- when we're talking about these moves and drives, that we aspirations that we have, uh, it all boils down to an individual's well-being. We, we want to make the well-being of it, each individual on the continent. We want them to be well off, to be fine, if, to be able to access health, to be able to access education and all those things. But uh, therefore, if we were, the question we are asking ourselves is how can we make life better for mm. individuals on the continent mm. as people working together instead of people that are pulling in different directions. So the idea of the passport actually kind of pushes us towards putting our heads together and overcoming the challenges that make it difficult for an individual, the common person on the street, to have a good life. Mm. Well, Roshan, your views there. I mean, I like the idea of an exchange of ideas. I'm a big fan of world music. So you get a guy from Mali to play with a guy from South Africa or Uganda. And kind of the music is so cross-pollinated. So when I think of this happening from a a business perspective or a social perspective, it really excites me. An exchange of ideas, especially in the business world. What do you think it could do for us? Yes, I think it's absolutely true that, you know, you, you can only benefit from having those kind of cross-pollinations in the cultural sphere or in the economic sphere. Yeah. I mean, I think we have to realize that we do have a lot of, of capital as well as labor on the continent, and if we enable that to move more freely, as was said by the professor, if you could get on a plane without a very, very lengthy process of trying to get a visa between South Africa and Angola, for instance, you would see much more of that happening, and it would encourage people also to to look uh, maybe beyond their borders to see where there were opportunities. And I think that would create, you know, greater cross-pollination, um, as you were saying. Mm, fantastic. Now let's get just your final sentiments. I've got uh, uh, a minute or so left. Dr. Chris and Shimbi, just to wrap up these conversations, how would you wrap up this uh, great conversation we've had today? Well, the the future is bright for Africa, but uh, as I said at the beginning, there's a lot of work to be done in order to have uh, this passport come to reality and also just the reality of people being able to move across borders and do business or socialize or engage in activities that would benefit everyone on the continent. There's a lot of work to be done, and of course, it starts with issues of legislation. Mm. The, the governments on the continent have to come up with legislation that will enhance or enable that, create an environment that will uh, allow that to happen. But then it would also boil down to the policies that individual national governments would come up with in order to facilitate that to happen. But then at the end of it all, it's the issue of the practices, and that's where we now get down to the communities and talk of issues that have to do with xenophobia, for example. Mm. You look at uh, a fellow Umuntu that is coming from uh, Zimbabwe, who is, let's say, in Mozambique. You should be able to look, in terms of your practice and mm. attitude towards the person, you should be able to say, oh, this is a fellow human being in the first place. This is a fellow African. We are here to help each other to live better lives on the continent, and we are here for the good of the continent. So all those three things have to be catered for, and I think uh, if those uh, that is done, then uh, we live to see a better future for Africa. Fantastic. Roshan Dadu, your final sentiments, I know I hijacked you during uh, today, but uh, what, what, how would you wrap up the conversation for us today? Uh, I think that you brought so much to our program. Well, I think we should have more conversations like this because I think this is one of the ways in which we start to challenge the notions of xenophobia 
and start to show people the benefits of, of looking at a bigger picture and seeing the benefits of, of moving between countries on the continent. And also I'd say in the short term we should definitely, all of us in southern Africa, try to put pressure on our governments to ensure that the static protocol on the facilitation of movement of persons is ratified as soon as possible so that we can begin that process and learn as we go along and through cooperating as a region mm. with the examples that are already set by ECOWAS and the EAC mm. to guide us. Mm, fantastic. Thank you to Roshan Dadu, the Regional Advocacy Officer for the Consortium for Refugees and Migrants in South Africa. I kind of connected with her this morning and sometimes it's very difficult to get people who are specific for the topic that you want. So I thank you for agreeing to join us, Roshan. Thank you for joining us on the program. I also, want thank to thank, I also want to thank Dr. Chris Nshimbi, who is the co-director of the Center for the Study of Governance Innovation from the University of Pretoria. Thank you, doctor, for joining us. Thank you very much. Fantastic. Now we're going to wrap up the program with the Grammy Award winner, uh, Angelique Kijo. Uh, she represented us this uh, year and she got a Grammy. I think it was in the world music uh, uh, genre. And uh, congratulations. Africa, we are rising. We've been rising in the Grammys. Is uh, Angelique Kijo. We're very proud of her representing our beautiful continent. There at the Grammy Awards, she got her own Grammy, which is a fantastic moment for our continent. The time right now is 11.45. Let's move on to get our economic update. We've got uh, Wisani Matebula standing by.
Thanks, Benjamin. So, still bad news coming up from Nigerian currencies. Uh, the, uh, the country banning banks from uh, reselling dollars bought at a currency auction to other banks. The Central Bank of Nigeria confirmed uh, that the bank sold dollars in a special intervention and says it will continue such sales on a need basis to satisfy demand on the interbank market and curb speculative attacks. The bank says it's not planning to devalue the currency again after last November's 8% cut. And some electrical engineers in South Africa are calling on government to inject more money into wind turbine projects to mitigate the ongoing energy crisis. Many stretches of the South African coast as well as various inland areas are seen as economically viable sources of wind energy. Supporters of wind farms call them a cost-competitive energy option compared to both other renewables and many fuel-based technologies. General Manager of Mark Pickering Wind Farm says they need support from government. It's almost reckless in a way to rely on the entire electricity supply for the country on, on one means of power. You need to diversify to get a sustainable solution. By bringing in renewables, it's, it's definitely assisting to increase the sustainability of our whole renewable grid. Meanwhile, John McGilvery from Africa Coast Engineers says it's time to weigh the options. At the moment, wind is both the cheapest and the fastest way of adding new capacity to the system. You can't just go ahead and build a wind farm. You need permission from the government. So we need government to run procurement programs faster and as often as possible. And the second thing is you need to connect to the grid. And so we need Eskom to extend the grid to the places where the wind blows to make it possible to export the power. And still about energy, Kenya's energy regulator has slashed the maximum retail prices of petrol, diesel and kerosene, citing lower import prices. Since 2010, Kenya has set a cap on prices of petrol, diesel and kerosene to protect consumers from what the regulator has said were unfairly high prices. But consumers have questioned the system in recent months, saying that local prices do not reflect falling global prices. An African Minerals Limited CEO, Alan Wertling, has stepped down with immediate effect just six months after he was appointed to head the troubled iron ore miner. The company did not give a reason for his departure. African Minerals facing a cash crunch because of weak ore prices and an Ebola crisis that uh, drove up operating costs in Sierra Leone closed its Ntokolili project in the country last year. China's Shandong Iron Ore and Steel Corporation Limited is the company's partner in the project. Let's look at the financial indicators. We start with the dollar trading at 11.65 South African rands at 9.52 Botswana Pula and 6.67 Zambian Kwacha. It it is also trading at 0.64 to the British pound and 0.87 against uh, the euro. Moving now to commodities, uh, gold $1,232, platinum $1,211, a finance brand crude oil at $61.30 per barrel. That's how it's looking. Time now for our sports with Musibudi Makura. Good day, sports fans, and starting off with football news. Nigeria's Golden Eaglets got off to a flying start at the CAF Africa Junior Championship in Neyman, Nigeria Republic, by beating their hosts, the Junior Mena, 2-0 in the opening match on Sunday. Two first-half goals by Victor Oshiem and Captain Kelechi Nkwale were enough to see the two-time winners rake in their first three points of the campaign. Channel Africa's Tonubani reports. The opening game of the competition watched by a mammoth crowd of home supporters and a spring playing of Nigerians saw the Golden Eagles opening their account in the 18th minute through Victor Shime, while Captain Kenneth Wakani's beautiful free kick from outside the box silenced the home fans in an entertaining opener at the State Fanny Conche in Miami. The host went closer with Sorajo Al Hassan just before the break 
they could not set Nigeria's goalkeeper, Akman Odo, in the second half. The Nigerians rallied to try and get back in the game with striker Ibrahim Isifu. The main threat, the Eagles were resolute at the back and head on to collect maximum points and pipe pressure on debutant sports, who now face a most win clash against Zambia in their second Group A fixture. Meanwhile, the action continues today. Molefe Ntsege, the head coach of the South African men's under-17 team, says his side will not be intimidated by the reputation of African giants Côte d'Ivoire ahead of their African Youth Championship opener set to take place later this afternoon at the Municipal Stadium at Nemi Nijem. Coach Ntsege says despite the high ranking of Côte d'Ivoire, Amajimbos will not give the West Africans too much respect in their first 2015 Africa Cup Africa in their first 2015 African Youth Championship match with a focus solely on making the top four of the competition and thus booking a spot in the Under-17 World Cup set to take place in Chile later this year. The kickoff is scheduled at 5 p.m. Central African time. South African Premiership side Kaza Chiefs coach Stuart Baxter believes his team could have punished Township Rollers during the CAF Champions League match played at the FNB Stadium on Saturday. The South Africans only managed to walk away with a slender 2-1 victory over Rollers with Matthew Rusuge as well as Defo Mashamaita scoring for the home team whilst Sekholoma Boy scored a crucial goal away for the visiting team. Baxter believes his charges led Rollers off the hook. We started quite well. We opened brightly and put them under pressure. We got the goal and they're too, they're too good a team to allow them to be off the hook. So when we didn't score, they showed that they could be dangerous. Maybe that's a little bit of a South African thing. We don't, play, we don't score when we play well. We don't punish people. We don't put games to bed. We leave them hanging there and it comes back to bite us. And they came out in the second half and we spoke about, we spoke about the critical phase of the first 15 minutes of the second half. And yet we still gave the ball away in the middle of the field and they counted very, very well and scored a good goal. And then we've got an uphill battle because then we're not only, we're not only trying to pick our way through a, a well-organised block, we're trying, to, we're trying to also not give the ball away and get another transition against us. Mamaloli Sundown secured a one-all draw against St. Michal United in the CAF Champions League first leg clash at the Estadio Linde of Roche Creman on Saturday. Meanwhile, a brace from Stimbis and Global helped Bitfits Vits to a 3-0 win over Royal Leopards in a CAF Confederations Cup preliminary round first leg match at Bitfits Stadium also on Saturday. On rugby news, the South African Springbok Sevens team claimed third place at the Las Vegas Sevens after beating the United States in the third place playoff match. The Blitzborker were beaten 24-19 by Fiji in the Cup semi-finals before rebounding to beat the Americans 31-0 and claim a consolation win. Fiji went on to win the Cup title by beating New Zealand by 35 points to 19 in the final. The Blitzborker maintained their lead atop the overall Sevens World Series standings with 93 points with New Zealand and Fiji in second and third respectively as the series passed the halfway stage in Las Vegas. And Valiant Cricket News, David Miller and JP Domini both scored hundreds as South Africa overcame a nervy start to beat Zimbabwe by 62 runs in the World Cup Pool B opener in Hamilton on Sunday. Wobbling at 83 for 4, South Africa were lifted by brilliant hundreds by Miller and Dumini, with the pair showing an unbroken stand of 256, a new fifth wicket record for the all one day internationals as they piled up on 339 for four at Seaton Park. Zimbabwe, as they had with the ball, started well with the bat and were 191 for two in the 33rd over as Hamilton Masagadza as well as Shamu Chibane threatened before they lost eight wickets for 86 runs. SABC sports reporter Samantha Mori is in New Zealand and filed this report. Fans were treated to some excellent batting in the All-African Showdown in Hamilton today. South Africa was on the ropes at 83 for 4 after being sent in to bat, but J.P. Dumini and David Muller wheeled to the willow to take them beyond the 300 mark. The pair set a new ODI record partnership for the fifth wicket, smashing an unbeaten 256 runs. Both batsmen also notched up centuries as the Proteus scored a competitive 339 for four. Zimbabwe did put up strong resistance with two batsmen bringing up half centuries, but they were eventually bundled out for 277, conceding a 62-run victory.
I'm Samantha Murray for SABC News at Seddon Park in Hamilton, New Zealand. Well, those are your sports news at the hour. Stay tuned to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, that's how we call it a wrap. Thank you for joining us here on Channel Africa. This is African Dialogue. We really bring you the big conversations that are taking place around the continent at this time. And today we're speaking about the African passport and the freedom of movement of people in sub-Saharan Africa. You have any thoughts? Do SMS us on plus two seven eight two three. 325905 and you can also find us on our Twitter handle at Channel Africa 1 and you can also find us at African Dialogue. Don't forget our Channel Africa Facebook page. It's simply titled Channel Africa. Remember, African Dialogue comes to you every Monday to Thursday at 1100 hours Central African time. For today, that's all we have. See you tomorrow. <laughs>